0: Greetings, it's Carl. And I've got a secret to tell you the secrets about FinCon, this conference. That's not the secret, of course, because everybody knows about FinCon. If you spend any time on Twitter when their conference is going on, you can't avoid it. All the amazing things that are happening there. Twitter's always on fire. And I've been meaning to go for years and I got a chance to go last year. And here's the secret. The secret is how many financial professionals there were there. How many planners and advisors were in attendance? How many of my friends and colleagues from the industry I saw there? I had no idea. And here's why it matters. It's becoming increasingly obvious how important it is For our business development efforts, to grow our firms, to have a broader impact on the world, how incredibly important it is to have an online presence, right? How vital it is to be using social media tools. And the question I always get, and I get asked this all the time, is like, where do I even start? I don't know where to start. There's so much information, it's all so overwhelming, right? I'm a financial professional, I don't have time for that. Now, that's where FinCon can come in. That's where FinCon does come in and will come in and will help you a lot. In fact, In their annual conference this year, which is in San Diego in September, there will be a dedicated educational track specifically for advisors to help them grow their firms through the use of social media. Tools like blogging, videos, and podcasts like this one. Now, I know from having attended that you will come away from that conference with actionable ideas. Things that you can actually go and implement. No matter where you are in terms of the sort of learning curve on using social media, you will leave with something you can do. And not only that, you'll leave inspired and fired up to do it because the energy at the conference is amazing. So for more information about the conference, including details about early bird pricing, head to finconexpo.com slash behavior gap. finconexpo.com slash behavior gap. And as a bonus, they've thrown up the video for my keynote address there for you to watch from last year's event. So go and check it out. That's finconexpo.com slash behavior gap. I have been thinking a lot about risk lately lately mainly because I'm getting asked a lot about it at speaking engagements really sort of around the world. I've been asked a lot about risk lately and that should probably be no surprise to me given that the markets are in one of these periods of time where for some reason we label it scary, right? They're moving up and down a lot and people are scared. But the other reason I've been thinking a lot about risk is because I like to ski a lot in the backcountry. And when you go in the backcountry, it simply means you're out of bounds of any resort. And it also means that you're sort of responsible for yourselves in terms of making decisions about what slopes are safe to ski and avoiding avalanches. And we've had a really great big winter here in the Wasatch Mountains in Utah. And that's led to a lot of avalanche activity and unfortunately, a lot of avalanche accidents. I believe last time I looked that we were up to 14 fatalities in the United States and there was actually a period of a nine-day stretch where there was one a day or maybe it was nine in nine days across the United States. That's a lot, right? And anytime you hear those stories, it scares you. It scares me. And I've been particularly sort of more aware. My awareness for danger has been heightened as my wife and my 17-year-old daughter have started to join me skiing in the backcountry. Now, I'm convinced that there's objective risk to skiing, to any activity. And, and I'm also convinced that the risk to skiing in the backcountry is probably a little bit higher than, say, golf or tennis, right? That's fair to say. But I'm also convinced there's a lot you can do to avoid dangerous scenarios. And what's interesting is anytime there's an avalanche, and particularly anytime somebody's caught in an avalanche, I read those reports, the accident reports, to try and just understand, as the old saying goes, better to learn from somebody else's mistakes than your own. It's just trying to understand what happened. And there's a set of them, and I want to be really clear about this. like There's a, a small subset that are just completely random, you know, that people did everything, quote unquote, right, and it still happened. And then there's another subset that's based completely out of ignorance. And I'm using that word in the sort of definition of the word, right? They just didn't know. They went someplace, didn't know what they didn't know and made a mistake. And I've certainly done that in my life. So I'm not pointing any fingers. But the interesting, more interesting subsets in the middle, and it seems to happen, it seems more frequently that people who knew better go and do stuff that they knew better, right? That they promised themselves they wouldn't do. And and I can completely relate to this. Because you'll hear things in the avalanche reports like, we knew we shouldn't have skied that slope, right? Something like, we even read in the morning in the avalanche forecast that we shouldn't ski that slope. We agreed to it in the car. Even while we were hiking up, we agreed that we wouldn't ski a slope like that because they could be dangerous today. And then we got to the top. It was blue sky and sunny, a foot and a half of new snow, a beautiful run, And we convinced ourselves it was going to be okay, right? That seems to be something that we hear often. And it's got me thinking a lot about how do you manage that kind of risk? And this is actually the kind of risk I'm the most worried about for myself skiing. And also when it comes to any other area of your life, particularly like investing, the kind of risk I'm most worried about is the kind of risk where you had rules that would prevent you from taking it and you don't follow the rules, right? Right. And so in those cases where that, that happens, you had the rule in place. You even talked about it. You all agreed to it, and then you didn't follow it. And I know, and again, I'm not pointing fingers because I know how hard I've done it myself, where you're like, ah, you sort of talk yourself into it, right? When it comes to investing, I think this shows up as an investment policy statement. An investment policy statement is just a simply, don't let the sort of fancy name scare you away. It's just a simple one can even be one, hopefully one page document that spells out how you should invest your money, you know, what level of risk you're willing to take. And and that level of risk should be linked to your goals, right? In other words, it's like what level of risk, what's the least amount of risk you need to take in order to have the highest chance of meeting your goals? It spells that out. It spells out what that means. In other words, like, look, if I need to have 60% in the stock market to meet my goals, that means I need to be prepared to go through periods of time where I may lose 20 or 25% and I'm just sort of off the cuff on those numbers. But that's the point. Spell out specifically what you're gonna have to do, what that risk means if it shows up historically. And then it gives you the rules on how often, like what you'll do when that risk shows up. Something like rebalancing. Or you promise that you'll never sell. Or if you're going to sell, that you have to talk to, you know, and you name three people. And it's not a legally binding contract, but it just says, I've got to call these three people, explain my rationale before I sell. Or I've got to wait 24 hours before I sell. Or I won't sell at all. You know, whatever it is, you've built in rules to prevent you from doing things you know you'll regret. Now then, the key (laughs) is following those rules right? The only thing worse than not having rules to keep yourself safe is having the rules and then not following them, right? So build in mechanisms because we know it's human nature. We know, I know it's human nature to have a rule not to ski a beautiful slope and then stand on top of that slope and want to ski it anyway. Even knowing that I shouldn't want to ski. I know that's human nature. I know it's human nature to know that selling when the market is down, is a bad idea. You know that academically, and it's human nature to do it anyway. And so we've got to build in what I think of as emotional guardrails into our plan to make sure that we don't. So if you don't have those guardrails now, it's not hard. Take the time to do it. Make sure, first of all, that you've got a set of goals, right? That your investments are linked to those goals, and then that you have what we're gonna refer to as an investment policy statement in place that tells you exactly what risk you're taking what that risk means, and how you're gonna behave when it shows up. Get that done because otherwise, right, you may be looking back at an accident that you will regret.